you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Thursday, May 12th, 2022. This is episode number 278. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, a.k.a. Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 30,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support Support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about California lawmakers want to make your weed a lot cheaper. Come out for cannabis West Hollywood Pride celebration. A daycare center putting the brakes on a cannabis permit. Canna athletics. Children in edibles. A psilocybin nasal spray, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full sixty minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What you got today, Rico? Oh, yeah. My story today is from Alexander Neves from Politico. California lawmakers want to make your weed a lot cheaper. Are California operators finally getting the tax relief they've been asking for? Politico seems to be hinting at just that. Governor Gavin Newsom's office has been working with several other lawmakers to consolidate six legislative proposals to alter the state's tax rate on cannabis products. Per the article, the group's looking to strike a deal by the time the state budget is passed in mid-June so the tax changes could go into effect this summer, which marks a major shift from the last uh, few years as Newsom heads into another heated election season. Prior attempts to lower taxes have been consistently met with pushback from Sacramento, with potential revenue loss being the opposition's favorite roadblock. But the executive branch seems to be determined to get it done after Newsom declared in January uh, confronting the tax problem was one of his top policy priorities just months after his announced cultivation tax hike at the end of 2021. He's now suggesting a complete system overhaul is underway. After years of negative feedback about how he's handled the license industry began to pop up in mainstream news platforms, Newsom's office is finally sending signals they're ready to play ball. 
Apparently, the countless reports about legal sales lagging drastically behind estimated trap house revenue and how the licensed adult use markets actually shrunk in size compared to the medical side uh, predating Prop 64's passage in 2016 have finally gotten through. For those in the room unfamiliar with the struggles operators have to deal with um, here in California, uh, the state imposes a weight-based tax on growers and 15% excise on retail. Local municipalities add their own excise tax on top of that as high as 10%, making the average across the state about 40% total. Dispensaries have complained for years that overtaxing makes their products uncompetitive with the illicit operators selling similar high-quality products without the tax burden. Although complete elimination of the cultivation tax and excise uh, reduction is expected. After five years of fighting for basics and getting pretty much nowhere, I think we're all in the same boat of believing it when we see it. According to last week's much-talked-about LA-based and data-driven Reason Foundation report, the numbers show killing the cultivation tax will actually offset lost tax revenue while also supporting child care, substance abuse, and law enforcement programs. Maybe there's a sign logic will finally prevail, killing the basis, baseless arguments, well-funded youth-focused groups, and unions like uh, like the SCIU have been hiding behind. But hey, this is politics, and you never really know, especially here in the great state of California. This is Rico Lamit, the dopest dad on the street for State of Cannabis News Hour, and I'd like to hear what the rest of the team thinks about this, especially the retailers in the room. What do you guys think? Do you believe it or not? You know what? I'm going to hope for it and be hopefully optimistic that this, too, will pass because we desperately need this in California. It's ridiculous that we even have a cultivation tax in the first place. There is no other agricultural commodity that is taxed at the cultivation point. It's just utterly ridiculous. I remember there was a gubernatorial candidate running for governor in California and wanted to cancel all taxes. So I'm uh, very supportive of this. I'm glad to see that the governor is finally um, getting a hint and moving towards some financial relief for residents. Governor, governor, that's the type of cancel culture I can 100 percent get behind right there. Real talk. And, and, and I hope they check the footnotes and, uh, and and give credit to who was beating that drum the loudest. Right, Nick? <laughs> Just saying. We've got Nate up from the audience. Nate, did you want to weigh in on Rico's headline? Um, yes, I was just in Sacramento on Tuesday lobbying the state legislature, and I spoke with Bradford that introduced SB 1281 that would take the excise tax from 15 to 5% and eliminate the cultivation tax. Although he proposed the bill, he is a little iffy that it's actually going to pass because of the Prop uh, 64 uh taxing then you need a two-thirds majority which in the current climate is not likely but it's the best bill i've seen and then the one other thing is in that bill is that all taxes would be collected at the retail POS. also also too i want to say a congratulations to the farmers out there because as to my understanding the ab 2691 has passed and that is the farmers initiative. So in that way, our outdoor farmers and craft farmers can have their farmers markets. And so congratulations to them. I'm, I believe that that is on the way to the governor's desk for signature. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jason, thank you for the heads up on that passing. One other just note quickly on Rico's 
item that um, I think a big part of this is the farmers and all these small retailers and others who showed up in January and went to the Capitol for that demonstration on the steps. And that was huge. That was a that was a big education for a lot of the lawmakers. And I think that at that point, they really realized what the hell was going down. So, the, the, you know, just props for the active, you know, these activists who went up there and, and were really game changers. We've got Ginger up from the audience. Ginger, did you want to weigh in? And then we'll give Lara the last word. Yeah, I'm a medical patient here in California, living in Los Angeles County. And recently, um, I've, you know, I have been um, getting my cannabis from a grower that is not, you know, charging tax because of all of this. You know, I'm a medical patient and needs to be cost ap- approachable for me. Um, I decided out of the blue to order from Ease when I hadn't done it for a while. And they informed me that I no longer qualified for my 5% medical patient discount because my medical recommendation was not an MMIC. So it's starting to get even more clamped down for medical patients here, and it's getting even more expensive and harder for us to even get our 5% discount, let alone, you know, getting discounts on the rest of it. So I'm very excited to hear about all this. That, that, that must be 5% something that just Ease does. It's most dispensaries yeah, makes- out there. If you provide your medical card to the dispensaries or to any of the licensed um, providers in L.A. County, medical patients will get a 5% discount just because our our um, percentages here are pretty astronomical compared to most places in California. Right. So we've been working on language, and actually that was one of the things that was discussed with Senator Weiner, um during the California Normal Lobby Day that our guests spoke about earlier this week um, with regard to extending additional tax breaks to those with recommendations versus MMIC cards, right? So making sure that you're entitled to take advantage of the tax break regardless of the type of transaction because you can't get the tax break at an ordinary retail uh, transaction in California. You can get it um, if you're part of of a compassion program with just a recommendation, but in order to get the tax break in California, you need the MMIC card. So that's where some of that sort of misconception is coming. Laura, I think we're talking about two different tax breaks because she's talking about a 5% discount that's issued yeah. to medical patients, and you're referring to the uh, sales tax exemption that you receive under being an MMIP cardholder. MMIC cardholder, yeah, I'm referring to, yes, I'm sort of conflating the issue in terms of like that. I think that there's a, what I'm trying to say though, is that there's a lot of confusion with regard to kind of what qualifies you for certain discounts because of that confusion in the legislature. So you're entitled to the tax break if you have the card. Um, right. And so a lot of organizations feel like they can't give you a discount as a patient unless you have the card, I guess, to kind of, you know, flesh that out a little bit better. It's um, yeah, it's it, it needs to be fixed, and we're working on we're working on fixing that so that patients um, can take advantage of the tax breaks if they just have a recommendation versus having a full card. But I think that this doesn't really talk about the nineteen percent effective excise tax rate that Governor Newsom wants, right? I mean, did um, at this article, Rico? Did that come up? Could you say that last part again? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> One of the things I didn't I didn't hear, and I apologize for not having time to read the article, was was the 19% tax rate that Governor Newsom wants on the excise. No, tax it wasn't. Was yeah, that was discussed. not. It was not mentioned in the article. Yeah. So effectively, I mean, we may get a break on the on the cultivation side of things, but he wants it to be 19% within three years, which is not. <laughs> 
See? Well, hold on. The bait so, and so, switch. So, so it's our. Oh well, my God. It, it, it's mass yeah. is a fifteen percent tax, but it's really a twenty-seven percent tax because right. of that arm race transaction uh, language in the bill. And I think just to paint some clarity, so people understand all this, if you get the the state identification card from your local health department, you are exempt from sales tax, whatever that is in your county. In most counties in California that have medical cannabis, it's 10 and a quarter percent. Okay. Then if you have a recommendation, you are exempt from that city's tax. So West Hollywood, I know imposes a seven and a half percent tax. I believe uh, Los Angeles (coughs) imposes a 9% tax. And I believe San Francisco imposes a nine or 10% tax as well. And so if you're oh sales tax, and no, a city, city, city tax, city tax, okay. separate from sales tax, just shitty city tax. tax. Yeah, no, there's, shitty no, tax. there's no cannabis tax in, in uh, San Francisco. There's 5% in Oakland, 25 to 5% in Berkeley, but nothing in San Francisco. Oh, well, that's good. That's good to hear. Yeah. All right, let's keep it moving. Yeah, yeah, we need to keep it moving. But I was just wondering, does anyone know the exact language in 64 that made it so that we had to have a two-thirds majority for... That was that was it was written 64. it was written as a two thirds majority that for any any Why? legislative changes you need a two thirds majority vote in the legislature. Why would they do that? Because why it was, would they do that? Initiative. Because it was Sean fucking what's his face from fucking Napster's bill. That's why. Fuck the no, He fucked up no, music no, and not. he fucked up weed. It's Susan. It's it's because it it's a people's initiative. It was passed by the people, so Congress must have a supermajority to override the will of the people. That is constitutional law in California. Okay, thank you. May this be a warning signal to all the new states trying to go legal. Like, do not follow California's <laughs> path. All right, so up next. He's the industry's longest continuously running retailer, but known in Detroit as White Gucci. And amongst certain California circles, it's Kaiser Brose. But when the mink coat wearing private jet hopping Emerald Cup judging human booth detectors not closing international deals from his desk at Green Street, he's here with us giving you the hard-hitting news from a West Hollywood conservative OG point of view. Jason Beck, what you got for us today, my man? Oh, yeah, Rico. Happy Thursday, everyone. Hope everyone is having a fantastic day. My story today comes out of West Hollywood, and I will. I guess I'm going to be speaking as well as the president of the Emerald Village, the West Hollywood Cannabis Tourism Board, where the Emerald Village brings the come out for cannabis to WeHo's pride celebrations. That's right. The Emerald Village West Hollywood Cannabis Travel and Tourism Board is prepping for the pride 2022 season by encouraging cannabis users to show their pride for cannabis with the launch of the come out for cannabis campaign during the month of June. The Come Out for Cannabis campaign draws parallels between the quest for decriminalization of cannabis and the struggle for gays' rights inspired by the gays' rights icons such as Harvey Milk, who implored his community to come out and be visible to influence friends, colleagues, and neighbors and build empathy for the LGBTQ community. Emerald Village of West Hollywood will ask the public to come out for cannabis with social media campaigns and branded merchandise, which will be distributed to guests at the booth activations at both the West Hollywood Pride Pride Parade as well as the Long Beach Pride Festival. Cannabis users have been stigmatized by society and even the government, much like the LGBTQ community for decades. Cannabis icons such as Cheech and Chong, Snoop Dogg, or even B-Real are often the archetypes of what people think as a cannabis user. However, the truth is that cannabis users in general reflect broader society as as a whole 
both in their racial and socioeconomic profile, said Scott Schmidt, executive director of the Emerald Village of West Hollywood. It may be an 80-year-old grandmother using cannabis to mitigate side effects of chemotherapy or an elite athlete using cannabis to assist with muscle recovery. Cannabis users span a broad spectrum of society. Come out for cannabis aims to celebrate all the cannabis users and the cannabis destinations you can explore right here in the Emerald Village, better known as the city of West Hollywood. In addition to the campaign, the Emerald Village, West Hollywood will host the first ever, get ready, drumroll please, Queen of the Emerald Village Pride Month Drag Competition, hosted by Ruse Paul's Drag Race Season 8 contestant Naisha Lopez and Season 9 contestant Kimora Block. The inaugural competition, Benefiting Being Alive and Being Alive is a nonprofit that uh, is an AIDS, HIV, AIDS organization. And also, too, if you are a patient in West Hollywood that is suffering from low income and needs, needs cannabis, you can go there and you can get qualified to be able to receive free or little to no cost cannabis from any of the dispensaries in West Hollywood. A nonprofit client-driven organization focused on the mental health and wellness of people living with HIV and AIDS is a month-long uh, pageant for local drag performers to fundraise, host public meet and greet appearances at cannabis retailers and lounges, as well as collect public votes for a chance to be crowned as the West Hollywood's queen of the Emerald Village. Until Pride 2023, this year's local drag contestants include Jazlyn Alizé, Jasmine Simone Eschilon, and Cake Moss, as well as Flabbergast. Fans will have a chance to watch the contestants perform at a kickoff event at the Artistry Studio Consumption Lounge on Sunday, May 22nd from 5 to 7 p.m. And, and at closing at the closing ceremony on Sunday, June 26th for the crowning of the winner. Ticket sales are available online, and I will be there for these events, as well as if you use promo code BECK420, you will get a 15% discount to the show. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. This is fantastic, Jason, and uh, I, I truly hope that you are announcing the names on stage as well. Is that is that what's going to be going down? Um, we, that's something that may may happen, may not happen, but I will be in attendance. I cannot wait. I will be there, and and I believe Susan is going to share the link to purchase tickets and and about the event in the <laughs> newsletter for all of our super fans out there as well. Indeed, it's going to be a phenomenal pride month celebration for the cannabis industry and i can't wait to for all the festivities we're gonna turn up and it'll be a booth free zone hell yeah except if you're using the um the the definition for booth in urban dictionary that that would be called boofing that's when you use it as an adjective indeed let's keep smoking the news <laughs> not touching that one susan <laughs> all right <laughs> coming up next this doctor has been around so long that he probably wrote your parents' medical cannabis recommendation. This doctor has had more patience than liberals waiting in line for a President Biden book signing. Founder of Medican and co-founder of CESC, the nonprofit cannabis research organization. It's none other than Dr. Gene Talleyrand. Dr. Talleyrand, please give us our daily dose. Thanks, Jason. Great intro. So good morning and good afternoon, everyone. This story is by Sean Tehan from New York Cannabis Insider. The headline is, Token Run, Can Athletics, a Burgeoning Market in New York's Cannabis Industry. 
On the morning of the 2005 Rochester Marathon, Brian Lane considered not showing up for the race. Juggling his job with the U.S. Postal Service, raising two children, and going through a divorce took the wind out of his sails, and running a long-distance race felt like a chore. But people were expecting him to be there, so he dragged himself out of bed, took four heavy bong rips, and made his way to the starting line. Lane ran the 26-mile race with a time of 3 hours, 11 minutes, and 23 seconds, finishing 16th out of 658 runners and qualifying for his first Boston Marathon. Lane is owner and compliance officer at Rochester-based hemp processing company No Wave and host of Hempletics, a podcast about incorporating cannabis into exercise. I think it's the most under-talked-about niche, Lane told New York Cannabis Insider. A subset of users called can-athletes are becoming increasingly visible. In a University of Colorado survey of 600 cannabis users, 80% reported using cannabis before, during, and after workouts. Everyone who is a regular cannabis user that I have brought onto my show, they're all active, says Lane. There's nobody sitting on their couches doing nothing. Lane's long-term goal is to release a line of products that cater to the can-athletic market. Cannabis companies currently serving the athletic market include Off-Field, which makes gummies, soft drinks, and other products that include THC. Another is WannaFit, who makes products that are infused with THCV. Josiah Hess, author of the book Runner's High, dives deep into how both elite athletes and weekend warriors use cannabis. The market for it is endless, says Hess. There's no demographic that cannabis doesn't reach. Young people, old people, all races, all political affiliations, all economic backgrounds. Dr. Ethan Russo agrees. Some uses of cannabis in conjunction with exercise already have pretty strong scientific backing. THC and CBD have pain-killing and anti-inflammatory effects that can help following a workout. However, the idea that cannabis can help people during a workout is more nuanced. He recounts his own experience of skiing under the influence of cannabis. Being able to key into the rhythm is a benefit, says Russo. I really like this idea of combining cannabis and athletics. I usually consult uh, patients who are using cannabis for chronic pain or other illnesses. It's refreshing to know cannabis is also used for wellness activities like workouts. Cannabis is not always about the party, and we don't have to wait and get sick before using cannabis. Using cannabis for wellness is proactive. I also think the cannabis industry should promote their own cannabis athletic events. We could raise awareness for elite athletes like Shikari Richardson, the sprinter who was banned from the Tokyo Olympics. Athletic events are a good way to highlight the positive aspects of cannabis use. What do you think? This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Cannabis really helps me focus when I'm working out. Uh, like I, I get distracted so easily, and I can really focus. Um, what happened? What do, you do, to- what do you do for a workout, Susan? <laughs> Jason, 
Uh, well, I used to lift weights, believe it or not. I, I was pretty damn ripped, but I haven't done that in a while. But I, I walk to the park. I do a two or three mile walk or I'll do my little dumbbells, do my arms and then my legs another day. Dumbbells, huh? And then, yes, dumbbells. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, what happened to 420 games? Did they disappear? COVID happened. Do they, did, didn't they disappear before that no i think somebody bought them out yeah i think somebody bought them um uh, early on in covid and just didn't do any oh because of covid okay dr clifton i'm trying to get you up i'll do a little research on it um um, after the show or during the show but um i'm I'm almost positive they got bought out by somebody like in uh, late 2019 early 2020 like right at the beginning of covid they they should have chosen a more cannabis friendly town santa monica is so anti-smoking that was a, a weird place to to do that i don't know but speaking of can of athletes i'm glad that there's finally a term for it because i know when i was in high school i played football and i smoked weed at the same time too so technically therefore at that time i was a can of athlete even though that that term had not been coined i smoked i think like before practice like like one time and um was absolutely fucking terrible. Like I've never been good playing football uh, um, uh, while I was high, so I just never fucking did that shit again. No, I, I like to do. I like to do it after practice, as as to to like recovery. Yeah, to help help my cardio, just to improve the cardio game. You know what I'm saying? I could dig it. You're moving it on. Are we good, Susan? Let's go. I'm trying to I'm trying to bring a doctor up to the stage, but it's not working. There we go, Jennifer. Did you want to weigh in on this headline? Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on the stage. Um, my name is Jennifer Kovacs. I'm actually in a pro- prohibition state in South Carolina, um, and I have three professional sports teams that I educate on hemp and cannabis use, um, two soccer teams, USL League One men's and women's, and an ECHL hockey team. So the coaches use it, the players use it, and I think I'm like three seasons in the hockey now and two seasons in the soccer and they don't even want to be without it in the off season. How are they so, using it? How are they using it, Jennifer? Is it topically? Are they smoking, vaping, taking tablets? Um, you know, they're, they're pretty health conscious anyway, so they're really not in the vaping. You know, everything from a soft gel, a topical, everybody loves a gummy. So, uh, <laughs> you know, even it just depends. I mean, it depends on the consistency of the gummy and what it's sweetened with. These happen to be organic tapioca syrup, so they're not as bad. Um, but, yeah, anything for recovery, sleeping, game anxiety, performance. I mean, when your body is your job um, and they they try the products, um, they, they get hooked because, you know, it's just like anything else. Anything that can give them a little bit of an edge to play or level up to the next, you know, go to – you know, go from ECHL hockey to AH, AHL hockey and then, you know, NHL or, you know, USL League One soccer to MSL League soccer. I mean, they're, they're going to do it. So, so Jennifer, do- when you say when you say hooked, you don't mean addicted. You mean they just it's, a, it's such a good thing that they they really get into yeah, it. Right. Yeah. Like, meaning they add it to their wellness regime, just like the right. cryotherapy or IV therapy, you know, all the other services that sponsors offer to them um, to improve their performance. 
uh, and even the coaches. I mean, now they, they couldn't sleep. They all had sleep issues. And then they even pulled their own little science experiments and said, well, we didn't really think it was your products. Um, so I stopped taking it for two weeks. Now I can't sleep and my back hurts again. I was like, well, there you go. Tell them to stop being a quitter, Jennifer. Quitters never nah, win. You took, oh, I couldn't get to the mic fast enough. Thank you, Rico. So you're saying you're slow, Jason? No, 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 never. No, 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 no. That was that was a good that was a good spin. That was a cute spin. Very cute. Let's keep Very it moving. Cute. Coming up next. Let's do, that's me. Oh, come on, man. Better, come on, bro. You better hurry. You better hurry up, bro. You're gonna get passed up in this race, baby. <laughs> All right, so she's a badass Northern California-based Canon mom with a CVS receipt length list of titles. Co-founder of the International Bar- uh, Cannabis Bar Association, chair of the Bar Association of San Francisco, Cannabis Law Section, and founder of the San, Fran- San Francisco Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project, just to name a few. But the sound of her sweet siren song of a voice has also been known to lure in legal opponents to her deadly trap, never to fuck over the innocent again. You have been warned. Laura DeCaro, what's the news today? Oh, my God, that was brilliant. You are so funny. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for that. I'm going to take it down a notch, unfortunately. I'm going to talk about something that should really upset everyone in this room. It's not necessarily cannabis-related directly, but it, it is in a way. So the story is Delaware State University incensed, quote, in quotes, after lacrosse team's bus was searched in Georgia. It's by Kevin Tresolini for the Delaware News Journal. Apparently, the Delaware State University, which is a historically black university, the women's lacrosse team was traveling north on I-95 in Liberty County, Georgia, southwest of Savannah on 420, and uh, returning home from playing their final game of the season And when they were pulled over. The bus driver was initially told that he had been improperly traveling in the left lane, um, but it's not clear how... The driver being in that wrong lane leads to probable cause to do what the officers continue to do next. Um, (laughs) Apparently, video accompanying the story, which I did watch, shows an officer saying, if there's anything in all y'all's luggage, we're probably going to find it, okay? I'm not looking for a little bit of marijuana, but I'm pretty sure you guys chaperones are probably going to be disappointed in you if we find any. It goes on and on, and meanwhile, the Liberty County Sheriff's Office deputies, taking their own liberties, been removing the players' bags from the cargo bay underneath and unleashing a dog-sniffing, I mean, I'm so drug-sniffing dog, sorry about that, um, at the scene as well. So before entering the motor coach, according to the sheriff, the deputies were not aware that this school was a historically black or aware that of the race of the occupants due to the height of the vehicle and the tint of the windows, he says. It was apparently just immediately upon seeing the occupants that the officers decided to push that profiling into overdrive. But he also goes on to say that no personal items on the bus or persons were searched, which is patently false if you watch the video. So his veracity, or at least the scope of his investigation into his deputy's behavior, is significantly lacking. Video taken by a student athlete shows the deputies trying to intimidate them um, in saying um, anything you can put marijuana in, to smoke it, any device used to weigh it, like a set of scales. Like the athletes are going to have scales with them on a bus. <laughs> he goes on, if there's something in there that's questionable, please tell me now because if we find it, guess what? We're not going to be able to help you. 
It just goes on and on like that. So DSU President Tony Allen apparently spoke with the Governor John Kearney, the state attorney general's office, the Delaware congressional delegation, and the Congressional Black Caucus about the incident. He is quoted as saying, they, like me, are incensed. We also have reached out to Georgia law enforcement are exploring options for recourse, legal and otherwise, available to our student-athletes, our coaches, and the university. Governor Carney released a statement saying, moments like these should be relegated to a part of our country's complicated history, but they continue to occur with sad regularity in communities across our country. So it's an interesting read. I think it's something everybody should have focused on 420, but it was lost in all the other 420 celebration news. It's worth noting um, that the driver was never issued a citation. The bus was searched, and one deputy actually even opened a gift who was given to one of the athletes by her aunt at a game they had just played. And he asked her, you accepted something and you don't know what it is? Well, that seems to me the definition of a birthday gift. This is Laura DeCarl reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I've seen this video, and it pissed me off so much. I mean... It was just like a reminder of old white South, you know, when they used to interrogate black people just for being out after dark and those sunset towns that still exist in this country also. So um, it's just extremely upsetting that we even have um, police officers still enforcing antiquated laws. But thank God for video cameras and cell phones, because without it, we wouldn't even know about it. So thank but you. Know what? But you know what? But you know what? Give them more money. Let's give them more money. Why not? Right. They're doing a great job. At, uh, let's give them cannabis money. Yeah, right. Let's give so them all, all of our money. Let's San Francisco law enforcement is undergoing a new program, um, like a bias training program. Should be kind of interesting to see how that plays out, but maybe we could expand that to uh, Georgia brethren. Good luck with that, Laura. Girl can dream. Girl can dream. The, 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 yeah, those red states, man. Like anything that is going to train them, <laughs> anything looking to train them for any kind of sensitivity or anything like that is uh, woke policies and shall be stricken down. I wonder if this officer, when he saw the video of himself talking, is is the present the comment about the present in the video? This no, it's an oh, article. Damn it! it. Okay. I will I will say this definitely does sound like some racist ass cops, and racist ass cops do need to be removed from their office and stripped of all their judicial powers whatsoever. A few bad apples, right? Right, Jay. A few, ba- a few, few bad, bad apples, apples ruins them all. One hundred percent. You know what it is, Rico. <laughs> And it sounds like these guys got pulled over by the few bad apples. Uh, fuck those In apples. In Georgia, though, right? So uh, it's to be expected. Well, I mean, I think you expect it more than you do in other places, but it doesn't make it just because you expect it doesn't mean that 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 is something that should have to be tolerated or or right, or, or, or um, no. accepted. Accepted. There aren't a lot of good apples in the Georgia police orchard. I tend to agree with that. Um, but we are way past the half hour mark, so I'm going to reset the room, relight the room. You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. 
The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Canada's news hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Canada's or its members. The statements made in the State of Canada's news hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Canada's and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Canada's news hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Canada's or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Canada's or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. Oh, yeah. This beard was born and bred in Michigan. Maybe that's why this beard commands such a presence. Because, baby, it's cold outside. So cold that the beard was compelled to move to sunny Long Beach, California, where the beard received a law degree. Known in the bar exam as the Brandon Beard Award for high scores. This intellectual IP attorney and CEO of Fruit Slabs is none other than Brandon Dorsky. Let's go, Brandon. What do you have for us today? Thank you so much for the colorful introduction. Uh, I'm going to continue reporting on states that don't have that many uh, good, good cops in the apple orchard. This headline comes from thestate.com. It's drug deal goes bad when man mistakenly texts photos and prices to deputy, SC cops say. If the cannabis industry had Darwin Awards, this man's blunder may take the cake for 2022. A South Carolina man self-reported his own criminal activity when he mistakenly texted a South Carolina sheriff's deputy on May 9th. About 40 miles southeast of Charlotte, in Chesterfield County, the deputy received an unsolicited photo of packaged cannabis and a pistol in a box with an ammo cartridge. The deputy then engaged in text communications concerning the prices for the gun and the amount of weed, and the unsuspecting self-informant provided his location in Chera, where he was working at a residence. The deputies arrived and found the suspect with a bag that contained the pistol, the ammo, and in excess of three ounces of cannabis. The 31-year-old man was arrested without incident and charged with not just possession with intent to distribute, but possession with intent to distribute within proximity of a school or playground and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. The article reported the texting blunder simply resulted from the suspect texting the wrong number. So, you know, I guess the moral of this story is if you're going to be trapping and... <laughs> You're using burner phones um, or not. Make sure that you're communicating with the right phone numbers because you might unsuspectingly be admitting your guilt to the police. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the state of cannabis. Brandon, dude, I, I saw this whole story and I think it even went into further details stating that the guy was like was like a yards keeper. He was doing some work at someone's house and texted that address and the law enforcement showed up to them and he had a bag on the side of the house with a pistol and like ninety one grams of weed inside. Man, when yard work goes wrong. Those Why did he have a deputy's phone number? No, he was trying to text someone else and like let's just say he missed a six for a seven and all of a sudden that 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 seven ended up being a deputy's phone number <laughs> in the same town that he was trying to trap in. It's like it's it, does anyone remember that that show um uh, America's Dumbest Criminals? Because this guy would definitely be on that. Oh my god, he's gonna have a rough time in jail, isn't he? <laughs> Ru- Rudy Giuliani can relate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> Jason. I didn't. I didn't get that. Is that this guy wasn't wearing a dress, so I don't understand that joke. Talking about uh, the butt dialing and uh, hitting the wrong numbers. Yeah, I'm still still not getting the joke. I will cue up a clip that we can play before the end of the show. There, there you go, Rudy. But really, really, Giuliani's greatest hits. Yes, indeed. <laughs> up next. 
He's a fifth-generation California award-winning journalist, freedom-fighting farmer's friend, always prepared to hit us with the hard-hitting truth the lamestream media refuses to, ensuring tomorrow's history is not told from a carpetbagger's point of view. Up next, Eric Hislereta. What's the news, Hermano? Hey, man. Thank you for that. Chase them carpetbaggers. Um, hey, everybody. Great to be here today. My headline is from Grow Magazine, and the writer is yours truly, and it seeds the day. Emerald Triangle operators map out how to best navigate the new world of cannabis patents and corporate IP. So uh, Grow Magazine is known for its deep dives, and I'm not going to read you my full 2,000-word article here, just a few highlights about some things that are going on in the Emerald Triangle and the industry you might not be aware of. So the Open Cannabis Project, an Oregon nonprofit that aimed to protect the cannabis genome from patent trolls, dissolved May 6 in response to intense backlash from its former business partners, Phylos Bioscience. With that sentence, the Willamette Weekly was one of the first news outlets to announce the 2019 demise of a once-promising solution to one of the most onerous specters looming over our now increasingly regulated industry, big allies in their mega-moneyed entrance and quest to dominate the industry. Once heralded as a digital open-source on-ramp to protect small farmers' heirloom cannabis genetics by putting the data in the public record known as proof of prior art in legalese, the OCP instead became a multi-car pileup of accusations, suspicion, and broken trust. Fast forward two years and a global pandemic later, and no one has yet polished the crystal ball enough to see what the future truly holds. What we do know is that the first patent has already been granted by the United States Patent Office for Cannabis Genetics. That happened in 2015. And the licensing of patent cannabis genetics is currently happening in multiple states by companies you've probably heard of and others you may not have, like Biotech Institute, LLC. Talk to growers, nursery operators, and others in Northern California's Emerald Triangle, however, and you'll get plenty of feedback about the issue of keeping phenos free from corporate firewalls. Opinions range from confident to concerned in a region, in a region that over the decades has earned fame as a goldmine of cannabis genetics and cultivation expertise. But all do agree on one thing, change is coming. Especially in the aftermath of the passage of Prop 64 and the encroachment of big money that is already more than evident here as witnessed by new multi-acre operations, unstable wholesale prices, and the tricky regs that favor deep-pocketed opportunists. My article then goes into a few sections showing the implications of this, but I'm just going to mention a few top-line sentences. One section is called Bud and Blockchain. In the aftermath of the OCP shutdown, a few of the nonprofit's leaders, none affiliated with Phylos, decided to find a way forward to see how they could revive the effort with a new project that avoided the pitfalls of the previous attempt. Now in development, the Ethical Data Alliance is beta testing protocols and defining how the platform can grow with a network of not just breeders and growers, but also medical professionals, patients, researchers, and others. And I'm also going to mention that the EDA is working in tandem with the Humboldt Grace Blockchain Project, which I spoke about on Tuesday. Another section called the Homesteaders, one local farmer whose operation goes back decades and defines the craft approach is John Casali of Huckleberry Hill Farms located in Southern Humboldt, quoting, John, the people I know and I've been here a lot of years aren't going to sell out, at least now. Taking an approach that is more terroir than tech, John says he's counting on allies like Redwood Roots, a Soham licensed distributor that specializes in craft cannabis to distribute their flour. He says they're also effective in sharing the homesteader story that essentially says when it comes to quality and whole plant expression, no corporate grow can compete with them. 
Uh, I have a section called the Pheno Hunters. We don't have time for that. Um, and lastly, uh, a section called Taking a Cue from the Wine Guys. From NorCal to Santa Barbara County, relations between the wine and cannabis tribes has not always been exactly cordial, but taking a cue from the Pinot Posse may prove to be one of the most effective ways yet to establish the provenance and characteristics of particular cannabis genetics. This serves not only to affirm their prior art status for potential legal cases, but creates other opportunities as well, such as canotourism. Founded in 2019, the Origins Council defines their mission on its website as dedicated to the sustainable rural economic development within cannabis-producing regions and establishing nationally and internationally recognized legally defensible standards-based geographic indications uh, systems for cannabis. So I know it's a lot to chew off, but um, just as a big pick thing, there is a lot going up uh, down in NorCal as these people fight to defend uh, their genetics and all the hard work they put in over the decades. And that's what I've got for today. I'm Eric for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Gracias for having me up. Eric, did you say these guys are fighting Phylos or they are working with people from Phylos? They, 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 uh, Phylos blew up and they are dead set against Phylos. So EDA is like, if, if uh, Phylos is the, bla the black star, the dark star, these guys are, um, yeah, Phylos fighters. Perfect. I, I'm with them because fuck Phylos. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I, I love this article uh, that, that you did, Eric. I uh, really appreciate it. It's uh, something that has been a very big and pressing issue with breeders. You know, they just haven't had uh, a way to have a place in this industry yet. And now with all this movement, um, you know, I've been on calls with the Ethical Data Alliance. I'm also on the uh, uh, advisory board for Canopy Right. So, there's just some amazing technology and, and new platforms coming out to really assist breeders and caretakers of certain genetics, you know, custodians that have kept certain genetics alive generations after generations. And now um, we're seeing a, the light at the end of the tunnel where, you know, they are going to be protected and there is going to be ways for them to actually monetize and sustain their art and work. So this is a great article. Really uh, happy to see all of this progressing in this section of the cannabis industry. And just real quickly, um, it's debuting, uh, can't be right that what um, Priscilla referred to is debuting in November. So it's going to be very exciting that, that this stuff is coming to fruition. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we're just, we're right now as a market, uh, as it stands, we're, we're seeing a really, uh, a, Despite going into the store and having hundreds of different products to choose from, if not thousands, we are seeing a lack of diversity in the genetic marketplace and the genetic pool. So with companies like this and projects like this, we're going to see a lot more. And it's really exciting for patients. And what's ironic is there's thousands of, of uh, genetics that are in root cellars and sheds and that these people have been holding for decades that just haven't been seen in the market. So just um, exactly what you're talking about, Priscilla. Is, is it a thing that some, some genetics you just start, you get a tolerance for them and you need to switch it up? Is that a thing? Some genetics are just weak, Susan. Well, I understand that, Jason, but also... But what, to what well, Priscilla... it's about selection, really. You know, like you you can't just pop around seeds and keep the weakest one alive. I mean, you have to continually improve those genetics. And a lot of these legacy operators, 
they've kept all of these genetics close to chest because they've been stolen from. They haven't had a way to fully protect themselves. There's no IP protection yet. So now what we're seeing with the combination of technology and demand, we're now seeing pathways start to carve out, uh, especially with blockchain technology and different systems like that, that people can now trace and, and source back, you know, who, who the original owner is, and then have monetization systems to make it worthwhile for them to release it. Let's keep smoking the news. Well, all righty then. Coming up next to the stage, she's an attorney at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis, entertainment, and psychedelics. Coming next to the stage, it's the founder of the blog and podcast, Shall We Talk? It's none other than Shalina Panu. Thanks so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Israel Biopharma Company to Unveil Psilocybin Nasal Spray at Science and Tech Conference. According to PR Newswire, a biopharmaceutical company called Madrigal Mental Care plans to unveil their new nanotechnology using a psilocybin nasal spray for the prevention and treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder at Biomed Israel 2020, which occurred on May 10th to 12th, which today, uh, in Tel Aviv, Israel. As further stated by PR Newswire, the advanced nanotechnology-based system is a breakthrough nasal spray that enables nose to brain delivery of organic nanoparticles. These biodegradable nanoparticles uh, encapsulate molecules of psychedelic substances such as psilocybin, the active ingredient ingredient in magic mushrooms, as well as ketamine, mescaline, MDMA, and others. The nanotechnology was invented by a professor at BGU and was licensed from BGN Technologies, the technology transfer company of BGU. The professor stated an increasing number of studies point to the advantages of using psychedelic drugs for the treatment of psychiatric disorders such as PTSD, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, and even addiction with low doses. He further states due to their powerful effect on the human brain, it is imperative to be able to deliver these drugs in a safe manner and in precise doses. Our novel nanotechnology platform enables an encapsulation of precise drug doses in nanoparticles that are delivered directly to the brain via an intranasal spray in a very efficient, fast, and safe manner. David Gabay, co-founder and chairman of Madrigal Mental Care, stated, Our technology ensures a focused and fast delivery of accurate doses of, of psychoactive substances. The nanoparticles are biodegradable and provide a significant advantage over over common practices in terms of stability and accuracy. In vitro um, studies, um, which, were which were carried out by Professor Shimon Ben Shabbat from the Department of Biochemistry and Pharmacology at BGU, show that the psilocybin doses used in the nanoparticles have a beneficial effect on inflamed brain cell cultures. We are currently beginning preclinical trials with rodents with the aim of achieving um, efficacy and safety approvals in order to begin first in human clinical trials next year. We have great confidence that this novel technology that offers a, a new will a new will propel forward the field of psychedelic-based treatments for the benefits of millions of people around the world coping with chronic and acute psychiatric conditions such as uh, PTSD and depression. Senior Vice President of Business Development Biopharm at BGN, uh, the Dr. Pearl Muter stated, there is a vast need for better treatments for PTSD and other mental disorders. We have filed a patent application to protect this unique approach, which is an excellent example of the kind of breakthrough technologies originating from top scientists at BGU. The U.S. isn't far behind in seeking breakthrough technologies, as the FDA approved in March 2019 Spervato, which is an S 
esketamine nasal spray for treatment of depression who have not seen benefits from antidepressant medicines. The FDA notes on their website that there is a potential of high abuse and misuse from using, of using Spravato that could result in sedation and disassociation, and as such, it is available only through a restricted distribution system under a risk evaluation and mitigation strategy. What are your thoughts on these breakthrough technologies for treatment of psychiatric disorders? My name is Shalina, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I wonder how different it is to experience psilocybin uh, through your nose as opposed to going through your gut. It, it's got to be different, right? Are they are they snorting it? That, yeah, I don't want to snort my mushrooms. It well, just sounds it's like it's going to be harsh, and you're going to get like the bad nasal fucking shit. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's an opportunity for cannabumps. You know what I'm saying? Cannabumps for the win, baby. Shroomy bumps. Hey, sign me up. Sign me up. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of science behind, you know, inhaling your medicine through the nasal passages. It's much more rapid onset. It can help a lot of people. I, I'm not sure I would discount it. I have had someone uh, put some mushrooms and grind them up and put them in a joint before and smoke them. I have seen that. Did you smoke it? Sun in the moon. Yeah, I tried it. Has anyone tried the pill form? Yeah, that, that's the same thing. Support. It's okay. It's easier to it's easier to dose, but it's Support. you know same thing. It's 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 super super lightweight. You might as well just eat an eighth. Just eat an eighth. You'll feel better. Or make some tea and make sure you ha- at least consume at least an eighth. Yeah, tea is. I love tea for uh, you know uh, microdosing. Tea is great. Microdosing is for girls, Priscilla. Good thing I'm a woman. Uh, microdosing makes me sleepy. I can't do it. Just man up and eat the eighth. I, I woman up, Jason, and eat the eighth. Microdose with, uh, try to find some penis envy, Susan. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> eat that penis envy, Susan. Yes, yeah, ma'am. That. It'll, it'll give you a little bit of more of a boost. Okay. I don't know where to find penis envy, per se. I'm sure you could find some. (laughs) (laughs) Let's keep smoking the news. Just go to Jason. Jason's got it. Allegedly. So this Wisconsin-rooted and Fresno-based Raptivist represents the strong black conservative voice mainstream media does not want you to know exists. But the haters and race baiters will not block out the black side of liberty constantly exposed by this Fresno City Councilman to be. Nicholas Wildstar, what you got for us today, my man? Thank you, Rico. How's it token state of cannabis? My article today from BBC News talks about how the London Drugs Commission looks to legalize cannabis. A new group looking at whether to decriminalize cannabis is being set up by London Mayor Sadiq Khan. Former Justice Secretary Lord Charlie Faulkner will chair the first ever London Drugs Commission. Mr. Khan described his visit to a cannabis dispensary in the wonderful state of California as fascinating. But Home Secretary Priti Patel... That's an interesting name, said the mayor of London was wasting his time as he has no powers to legalize drugs. Labor Party said in their statement, um, the party does not support changing the law on drugs. The main drug offense recorded in England and Wales last year was possession of cannabis, according to a parliamentary report. Cannabis is currently classed as a Class B drug in the UK, with a maximum sentence of five years in prison for possession. 
1996, marijuana became medicinally available in California. And 20 years later, you can possess, use, grow, and gift the narcotic, quote-unquote. In 2018, you could buy and sell recreationally for the first time, Mr. Khan said. We need to have an honest, open conversation about the evidence in relation to the history of cannabis and our laws in the UK and our experience of the health consequences in relation to crime and the community. The best way to do that will be the um, Drugs Commission we've now set up. You can hear from the experts. That's one thing. But seeing it for yourself, hearing from those who cultivate and grow this plant has been fascinating. Once it has been completed, its work at the commission will make recommendations to City Hall, the government, the police, the criminal justice system and public health services. University College London will provide research and analysis on the impact of any policy changes reacting to Mr. Khan's announcement. Mr. Patel tweeted that the mayor's time would be better spent focusing on knife and drug crime in London. Um, The mayor has no powers to legalize drugs that ruin communities, tear apart families, and destroy lives, she said. Mr. Khan's own party also distanced itself from the mayor's comments, saying drugs policy is not developed uh, to mayors and under labor will continue to be set by the national government. On Wednesday, Mr. Khan met with Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti and visited a cannabis dispensary and farm in the city to see what lessons could be learned in the UK in responding to the challenges of drugs. Around 2.6 million people in the UK used cannabis in the year to March 2020 when the pandemic struck. Data from the Office um, for National Statistics shows. Um, Speaking about the visit, Steve Rose of the Transform Drug Policy Foundation told BBC Radio London the capital needed to learn from countries like Mexico and Uruguay, which have decriminalized cannabis. He said, clearly, as the mayor has pointed out, our cannabis policy is not working. It is not deterring use as we can always smell it off them. It is criminalizing lots of people, particularly young black males, and it costs the criminal system a lot of money. We need to look at it. Other places in the world have decriminalized it, and hopefully we can learn from these experiences. This is Nick Wildstar, a.k.a. The Governor, reporting with the State of Cannabis News Hour. Speak now or forever hold your peace. Forever hold your what? Peace. <laughs> or bomb there we peace. go. Do you, envy, do you envy that peace? <laughs> stop calling it drugs. They need to stop calling cannabis drugs. I know, right? Or narcotics. Or like, the, narcotics. The hell? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or just own it. Just own it and fucking switch the narrative on them. I, I saw, I saw uh, real quick, I know we're at the end of, end of time, but I did see Kat Packer last night at a political event, and she had some choice words to say about that con visit. Dot, 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 coming soon. Oh, we know Spill what you're covering tea. tomorrow, Rico. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we have reached the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure you catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcast. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. Thank you, Rico and Jason, for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Zsa Simone Brown. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears. When there's news in your city, county, state, or country, you take us deeper into the story, you add color, and sometimes provide amazing sound bites. Let's do another one. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour. 
where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. Bye.